Okay. All right, good morning, listeners, and uh, welcome to this week's News from the Drug War Front. My name is Jeff, and my co-presenter is Marion. Good morning to you, Maz. Good morning, Jeffrey. Good morning, my darlings. How are we all this morning? Certainly open. a lot of news around, isn't there? There is a lot. Of, well, we're all open, so all sorts of things. It's strange, Jeff, coming in on the bus this morning, I noticed how many people there were, weren't walking wounded there are <laughs> now, I think, because everybody's allowed out there riding bikes and scooters and falling off them at a rate of not so. I saw three people with um, broken arms, with their arms in plaster, and Whoa. I saw at least two people who were limping with crutches, broken legs. So, yes, look what happens when we're allowed to do stuff. We fall over and hurt ourselves. Too much experience. And I've got a bandage on my <laughs> Yeah, I just noticed I wasn't going to comment. I'm a walking wounded as well. <laughs> yeah. No, I think um, what when what Freedom Day or whatever you want to call it comes, people just, yeah, go, go crazy. Go crazy, yeah. 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 Um, on a not-so-positive note, um, it, I mean, the cop, climate change meeting is still going, but it seems a general oh. sense of frustration. Well, yeah, the, the so-called grown-ups have done a really, you know, miserable job of it, haven't they? But that was to be expected because they do everything in terms of... Um, and we heard about it, you know, for a couple of months before they actually had COP26 that they were working on the consensus statement. Mm. And when you're going to operate by consensus, you never get no. anything radical in the way of a something that you can release to the public. So what's happening now is the young people are having their sessions and that is going to be, I hope, a lot more radical because they're calling for reality to bite, you know. Well, they're the ones who are going to feel yeah, the, the real impact. Well, and, and that's the big point, isn't it? They're the ones that are going to have to carry the, the do the hard lifting. Yeah. Yeah, we keep on watching um, media event after media event or, you know, doco after doco about uh, turtles dying, of, you know, from with bits of um, plastic wrapped around their gullets, and it's just you know, just, and reefs dying, and you know the yeah, animals being basically yeah just shredded. going, yeah. and yeah. it's just if you look at, and as I said, I think at the end of last week's show, you know, the um, one presentation from the COP26 at the end of it that was there were two actually one from a woman from an island in the yeah, Pacific who are losing their island yeah they're going to have to been, move they're they're drowning the island's mm. drowning and the other one from a woman who again a woman who stood up and said Mother Nature is not happy mm. all you have to do is look around the world see what's happening the earthquakes the volcanoes the storms the you know, tornadoes that become, you know, inland st storms. It's just yeah. ludicrous. Yeah. Record drought, record it's crazy. flood. Record, record everything. Yeah. And and people are saying, well, you know, it's not that bad, you know, but it is that bad. Yeah. No, look, I think a lot of the early um, predictors are shocked by how significant how, it has happened already. How quickly it's yeah, happened, it's, I think. I don't think they expected it to... Look, when they said they wanted you know, 2030 targets, and in fact, we needed them, yeah. you know, yeah. 10 years ago. And the longer you leave it, the more... The worse hope, it's going yeah, to be, yeah. It gets. But, if, you know, if it, if it does reach what they call tipping points, we're in serious trouble, you know. 
Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Anyway, sorry to <laughs> come up with a depressing it, it angle. Is, but it it is standard. And, I mean, now that we've opened up and we you know, don't have to do quite as much as we did about COVID interventions because there's not that um, quantity in, in the ACT anyway and we have more avail- availability. People are able to go, go out and contact the services that they need, we can now talk about the social issues that we more often talk about. Yeah, yeah, good point. No, uh, well done to the ACT in terms of vaccination and just general response. Anyway, um, look, uh, got a very important announcement later on in the show. The International Drug Policy Consortium yesterday uh, ended the embargo on the release of their, um, I think you'd call it an accountability tool, which assesses countries against... um, their drug policies against uh, UN system recommendations. A set of criteria, I think, is yeah. right, largely about how they're rating on harm reduction. Yeah, yeah. harm reduction, um, corporal, you know, death penalty, um, access to opioid maintenance treatment, needle syringe program. Yeah. Um, but quite a comprehensive assessment and also um, stories from individual uh, drug users in the 30 countries. And uh, I was a little surprised, but of the 30 countries assessed, and I guess... Um, that's just the initial um, uh, countries that they've selected. Australia ranked fifth um, overall out of 30. I yeah. mean, it still wasn't a stel- stellar result. leading countries, yeah. Um, but I would say, yeah, room for improvement. But I guess on reflection with countries that, you know, like the Philippines, that like we've said, shoot people in the street. Indeed. Um, well, it's more likely to be uh, government policies that they're talking about mm. rather than um, what's happening on the ground, don't you think? That yeah, it's gov- that's what they're measuring. Yeah, is they're government me- measuring policies. government policies, yeah. yeah. Because the one that comes last is Brazil. And um, what's happening on the ground is, is one thing, and but government policy is just known. You know, pretty much the same as the Philippines, I suspect. I mean, I'm surprised that Brazil is last, given that the Philippines has such an appalling record. But nonetheless, I'm not sure we get to that when yeah, we get to that. Yeah, perhaps the Philippines wasn't one of the 30. But anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a good start. It's a massive project. I mean, to actually, indeed, um, yeah, you know, come up with a, a comparable assessment of um, government drug policies in so many different a, countries. A drug policy index. Yeah, Helen Clark says. Yeah, nothing short of radical innovation. But we'll get to that when we get to that, hey, Jeff. We will. Um, And along with that tonight, there's um, an Australian webinar that ties in with that um, and a range of speakers, which is uh, free. Um, And I'll get to the details of that. But it's um, hosted by the former executive director of ABLE, Annie Madden. Uh, It's got a range of speakers like Professor Alan Ritter, Jake Docker, who's the new CEO of ABLE, uh, Nick Kent, uh, David Shoebridge, who's a uh, member of the Greens in the New South Wales Parliament, Fiona Patton from the Reason Party, member of the Victorian Parliament. So uh, quite a range of, of speakers, and I guess they're going to try and sort of put the um, IDPC uh, um, findings in uh, context for context, yeah, Australian for advocacy Australia, and yeah. action, which is what we want. We want action. Barry. That's right. There's not much... Well, uh, same with climate change. Not much point in just having a list of stuff to attend to, you've got to have a a, pro, a plan. I mean, and that's what we've been saying for a long time, Geoffrey, haven't we? On this, for everything that, you, for every statement you make, or for every complaint that you make, there's not much point in making a complaint unless you are going to come up with some creative plan to address yeah, that I complaint. Couldn't agree more. No, look, um, policy legislation, and you know, it depends on the priority, doesn't it? It's governments choose certain issues over others. 
Unfortunately, I think we've just had a let's just continue on with um, tough on drugs and. Well, given that they've had the opportunity of let's look over here, nothing yes. to happen, nothing to look at over here because we've got COVID and fires mm. and, you know, dust storms and drought and then overwatering, you know, floods. And so there's an opportunity to ignore drugs because everybody knows gov- governments only have two hands, one's right and one's left. And... The one in the middle doesn't work at all, you know. <laughs> I know that one. <laughs> no, that's right. I made it up. Oh, okay. <laughs> Can't have three hands, but you meant to have three eyes. But they can only do two things, and generally it's one because they need two hands to do, you know, one thing. And managing COVID, has taken which really priority. hasn't been yeah. done well, but no. it has obviously taken priority. And still, you know, Victoria's got. Yeah, Some 16,000 cases current. It's still which is far pretty, from over, isn't it? It's not you over know? by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I saw a, a report on a, a hospital in Victoria, but about people that are seriously ill in intensive yes, care with intensive COVID. Care. And it's, it's, it's no joke. It's no, not, not at all. Oh, a, a friend of mine, by the way, is in um, intensive care apparently in um, Calvary Hospital, and I just want to send out uh, um, a cheerio to him, a shout-out to yeah. you, Andy. Uh, look after yourself, darling, and get better, please. Yeah. It's very sad. It's not COVID, but he's not well not at all. Well. And I, I, Yeah, very sad. He hasn't been well for a long time, but not this unwell. Yeah, um, I'm sorry to hear that. Very sad to hear it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, another aspect of COVID, I think, is uh, they said, um, I saw a thing on ABC last night about the number of uh, undiagnosed um, cancer, like uh, breast cancer in women. Indeed, um, yeah. Because they were worried during the lockdowns to go to hospital and didn't get I, their mammogram. I tried to get an appointment for a mammogram. What They weren't going, they wouldn't give me one. Is that right? Yep. Wow. Yep. So what's going to be the health impact of well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and there are plenty of kinds of other kinds of cancers that are prevalent generally, but mm. if they've not been testing for them, what can you do? Well, especially when early, early detection is such a it's such a, it's important crucial yeah. aspect of your chances. Yeah. Yeah. So there's yeah there's there's a lot of long term impacts and that doesn't even mention long COVID or oh look the impact ha- of COVID itself I mean do, what do we know about the signs and symptoms of having COVID you know what we hear is the intense you know when people are in ICU they're talking about not being able to breathe and being given oxygen is yeah. really to try and uh, alleviate that inability to breathe because yeah. apparently it feels like there's a brick on your chest. You just can't get a breath. Oh. Um, and that's shocking. But the signs and symptoms are, are um, seem to be so diverse mm. that they're so diverse that people aren't prepared to describe them. You know, why does the population not know? Yeah, it needs, I mean, it's it like needs to be made as clear as possible, Absolutely. doesn't it? Absolutely. We so. have a government... Now they're back to talking about, you know, the economics of COVID. We need to open up the states. Because mm. So COVID's all done, done all and done. dusted yeah. yes, it is, as far is. as the government's concerned. Let's get that economy going. That's right. Get back to the bucks. All right. Just for anyone who hasn't heard the show before, um, we do... Um, 
the show is brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy. Karma is a peer-based community-controlled drug user organisation with over two decades serving uh, the community in the ACT. Um, sadly, um, if you've heard the show before, Marion and I try and put an alternative perspective to the current global policy of um, prohibition, which has been in effect for over 50-odd years. Um, and you know, reporting in the mainstream press tends to be just more of the same. Um, and we would hope to encourage people to take a, a closer look and um, look at, you know, harm reduction, look at suggestions of decriminalisation. Um, I, I would say legalising and regulating would be the ultimate solution. Um, black markets just create um, profit incentive. That's um, right. And, and, and ever has been. We've never said anything but that. And that's the evidence that's been available for governments to look at forever. Yeah. Um, it hasn't changed. And in the 60 years since the... Um, what is it? The International Single Convention, Single Convention, Convention on, on Narcotic, and the 50 years, which has been actually 50 years of drug war from the United States, yeah. 60 years since the uh, Single Convention on Drugs. Yeah, um, it's yeah. been a long time, Marion. If prohibition it's was a very to... long time since I, you know, I was eight, Jeffrey, when they that Single Convention wow. was signed. It's crazy. Yeah. Did you think that it would last this long? I, I didn't even know that it was a thing. Yeah. I was eight. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, when you, when you were a young woman and... No, no, I didn't. And I I didn't understand all I knew, because my father was a lawyer, what I knew was that there were drugs that were against the law or right. there were things that were against the law and there are things that were not against the law. And I didn't question them. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until I got into about year 10 that I started to question things or the world yeah. and that was when um, the moratorium on Vietnam moratorium oh, yeah. was held so in uh, Canberra there was a big march and um, I think there were three young women from high school that were suspended for going to the march. Really? So, oh yeah, our school was really conservative and saw itself as pretty uppity, that was Campbell High in the old days gang <laughs> Campbell High School and it... Um, yeah, the three women, Penny, Anne, and um, who was the other person that went with them? Penny, Anne, and Ninka. That's right. And I think they all went to the march and they were suspended for going to the march and it was really quite sad and yet their parents were quite happy for them to go. In fact, they were very um, keen. Yeah. yeah, they wanted them to go. So, And I was actually quite proud of them, but I was a bit perplexed by it because I didn't understand mm. that really the major problem was going to be for us was that we had introduced um, conscription and that meant that our generation, in fact the guys at my in my year were going to be subject to conscription. Yeah, if fact, your number came up. It... Yeah, it was the, the last year of conscription that um, I think it was 71 was the end of school for us, 71, 72. Yeah, and then Goff got yeah, elected. And and Goff elect and yeah, and Goff got elected and, and they knocked it on the head, which was a great The right thing, yeah. I guess one of the positive things about that is it made people think, didn't it? It was a great 
such an important issue. It made yes. people question. And papal power became a thing, yeah. which was really important. I mean, and not just... Uh, papal power became a thing other than just sex, drugs and rock and roll, yeah. which was kind of party time in yeah. the 60s. That was when rock and roll became a thing as well, or a big thing. Yeah. But people like Bob, Dil Bob Dylan were singing songs that made sense, and Joan Byers was singing songs that made sense. Yeah. Um, and the um, folk music was um, very meaningful and the songs were very important and mm. actually spoke to young people yeah. a lot. It was a really good exciting time. time. Very exciting time. Yep. So, yeah, that's essentially what we're um, hoping to do is provide the news and what Karma's up to and also uh, important stories of um, drug law reform around yep. the world. So that's essentially what we're trying to do. And Karma provides a wide range of services like client advocacy, peer treatment support, education, information, creative arts, mentoring and referrals. The office is located at the Churches Centre in Shop 17, Level 1, 54 Benjamin Way, Belconnen. Uh, the drop-in drop centre is uh, staffed on weekdays from 10am to 4pm and the phone number is 6253-3643. I take it the drop-in centre is open again? Yeah. With, is it, Jeffrey? But with limited numbers. COVID yeah? protocols, you have okay. to sign in, you have to... It's always know. going to be COVID protocols for some time to come, I, I would think. I think so, yeah. Um, we can't... I don't think we can do anything but look forward to that for at least another year, possibly two. Quite possibly, um, yeah. But also I think we need to keep in mind that uh, after six months after you've had your second uh, vaccination, you're entitled to have a third. Oh, okay. And, uh, and you should do. So it doesn't matter what kind of vaccination, whether you had a Pfizer one or an AstraZeneca one. Um, in fact, it's probably better that you have an alternative kind, so the other kind of um, vaccine when you have the six months update one. Mm. And that's apparently been very successful okay. in uh, Israel where they've been doing it um, because it fades in, uh, apparently the vaccine fades in its in intensity or it's in its impact. Um, and it's very good for um, raising your immune system and making people f be able to fight the bug a little bit better. Well, Hopefully they'll look, they'll find a cure, which um, it, what really worries me is they tend to stop like they did with HIV, right? They found a way to manage it, yeah. not to cure it, but, but to, to manage it alive. and stop people from yeah. dying. Yep. And so they stopped searching for cures. And that worries me that that's what they'll do with COVID as well, just learn to live with it. I um, guess we should appreciate the fact that there are the vaccines were... Um, well, they found a, a cure for hepatitis C, Jeffrey. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true. And I don't understand why that should be any different, except that that affects our community quite substantially. Yeah, that's been more huge, than the wider community. So, finding a cure, I would think, would be a mammoth effort, and uh, would be well. You know, that'd be a Nobel Prize right there. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, so CARM is uh, Australia's first opioid overdose recognition response with naloxone workshops are not currently being run in person. Um, however, we still do brief interventions with individual clients, so call Dave or Damo on 62533643. Um, anyway, we can assist people with a wide range of issues, including opioid maintenance treatment programs, 
methadone, buprenorphine, or more recently the new long-lasting injectable forms of buprenorphine known as buvidal or sublocadin, I would suggest that you talk to someone um, from Karma if you are being um, pressured mm. to use the injectable form because it's a, I think it's a bit of a worrier. But you if want you're to going sure on to any kind what you want, of yeah. opioid maintenance program, you have a choice yeah. and you should know that you can have that choice. You don't need to be pressured into taking one or the other. It's a really Just, important point. Yeah. So have a discussion about it with somebody who knows. Yeah. Support with treating hepatitis C through the Reach Teach Treat initiative. The availability of detox and rehab services, so referrals to services as there, the impact of stigma and discrimination difficulties with getting access to proper pain relief or palliative care, all issues faced um, by people adversely impacted by prohibition and the war on people who use drugs. Yeah, well said. So essentially the message is uh, Karma is still doing all its um, services. Yep, and it's doing them in person yes, again now. you can come in. Yep. Um, but we're Better to ring up and, and make sure. So 62533643 is the phone number. Ring up if you want to see somebody and because it's infinitely... Um, more practical or and you get a better outcome if you talk to someone face I think if you talk to someone mm. face to face rather than talking to them over the phone there's limitations you can talk to people yeah. over the phone and get a, a good outcome but if you want help make an appointment come in and see somebody because it's really uh, probably going to assist you better yeah. and you can arrange for someone to go with you if you have an appointment that is uh, that makes you a bit nervous yeah uh, no. having an advocate with you will help no karma's been doing a great job supporting people who are in isolation or quarantine oh, like absolutely a... and was involved in developing the protocol for looking after injecting drug users in yes. the first place chris was here telling us about it it's, yeah. it's it's really important that um, that is not overlooked because uh, they're a marginalised community. Uh, oh, absolutely. And, you know, we've been using volunteers and we have a wonderful volunteer and uh, casuals coordinator, Natasha, who has been um, looking after our um, part-time and volunteer staff, um, you know, big job, to, yeah. at the expense of her own welfare. So look after yourself, yeah. Natasha. We need you, my love. Yeah, um, good point. So just, yeah, I admire what you're doing, but I don't want you to do it at the expense of your own health and well-being. And, and in these times, that's a real It's really risk, important, yeah. the number of people who are being burnt out by just over-giving, yeah. giving too much of themselves. You cannot... You cannot give to people if you aren't full up with stuff. I've always said that to people who work in the so-called helping professions. If you're not full of um, feeling good, you can't give out to people yeah. what they need because you can't recognise it. If you, if you don't recognise it in yourself, that absence of good feeling, yeah. how can you recognise it in someone else? Yeah. So look after yourself, my darling. Yeah, no, it's a, a, an important point to keep in mind and not to mention the overall just general stresses of like oh, COVID. Yeah, and, day to day yeah, co yeah. and COVID, let alone working with drug users. You know, it's 
piling one thing up on top of the other, yeah. Jeff. It's, yeah. it's, it gets to be too much. Oh, well said. Okay, the contents of this news from the Drug War Front broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views and or policies of the Canberra Alliance for Immunisation and Advocacy. Karma does not condone, nor does it condemn drug use and does not promote illegal activity. Karma recognises that drug use uh, happens, and as such, Karma focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development. Karma seeks to reduce the harms associated with drug use as well as the harms associated with the criminalisation of drug use. Through the provision of empowering programs that concentrate on community development, person-centred holistic health care and equity of health service delivery for all people. And I think it's important to have Karma, you know, providing a voice for... Oh, it, well, they're not going to get it from anywhere else. No. I mean, you can do it individually for yourself, but you need, as a rule, I think, we need um, an established an entity that can advocate on behalf of drug users um, as a peer organisation which, which gives people the opportunity not to, to say, yes, I use drugs or no, I don't use drugs, but to simply come out as a peer, you have the opportunity to say, I may or may not use drugs, but this is what drug users need. Mm. This is how they need to be considered when you are planning for them. Yep. No, no, can't overstate how important that is. Absolutely. Um, just to mention, uh, our peak body, ABLE, is having the annual general meeting on Tuesday, November the 23rd. Uh, it'll be done online, um, and the agenda will be provided to members no later than Tuesday, November the 16th. So when that comes out, we'll um, give some details about uh, what's happening with ABLE. And, yep. um, and Karma and the COVID-19 activities at the moment... Uh, all the Karma programs are up and running via phone and Zoom, if not face-to-face. -face. Uh, Karma supporting community members who are unable to isolate without support. Uh, support includes grocery deliveries as well as referral to alcohol and other drug treatment, uh, treatment and help with tobacco, NRT and alcohol or access to detox services. Karma's now on-site at the new quarantine facility in O'Connor. Ragusa is that name that's supporting people in isolation there seven days a week as part of the YWCA community hub. Karma's partnering with Directions, um, providing peer support to nurses as vaccinating, to nurses, vac nurses as vaccinating in houses, housing sites across Canberra. I think Chris is going to have to um, just double check on that arrangement at the yeah. moment because a lot of uh, the nurses are wondering how are the karma workers fitting in okay. um, yep. when we take someone in for a vaccination. So, but oh, it, ha right. it, it, it has been a successful um, collaboration, collaboration, has it? Yeah. Okay, karma's helping support homeless people coming out of isolation or quarantine, ensuring that they're not discharged to homelessness, which is going to be a problem. Many of our clients are seeking to engage with rehab services post-quarantine, especially residential rehab, Karma and uh, Karma and Canberra Recovery Services have been working together closely to make this happen. Karma have trained public health staff at Ragusa in naloxone admin to ensure appropriate responses to overdose are in place at the facility. And that's really important. It is very important. And anybody that hasn't done the naloxone training should learn how to do it. And again get in touch with Dave or Damo on 62533643 yep. no, to find out how you can 
be part of a, an intervention, learn how to save someone's life it's or an keep them alive. Yeah, absolutely. It, and it does one thing, it does but one it does thing it well. It does it well. Yeah. We say that every week. Yeah, and it's important that um, people in the healthcare field or drug and alcohol field know what naloxone is and, more importantly, to recognise an opioid. Overdose, yeah, well, know what it looks like and know what to do with know it. Know what to do. I would rather that they carried um, naloxone with them. Yeah. I do. I've yeah. always got at least two of the nasal sprays with me. Yeah. So I can give one away if I need to mm -hmm. or use one and I've still got one left. Um, but if you are on a pension, you can get it prescribed to you uh, or you can get it free if you go to... Um, get in touch with Dave or Damo and learn how to do the intervention. I think everybody should, should have naloxone yeah. yeah. and know how to use it. Yeah. So we're just more. about ready to go on to ready the news. Ready for the 11 o'clock news. Oh, we shall ready. be back after yep. the news uh, with some more stories. Okay. Ready, duty. We haven't done All right, it's four minutes past 11. Welcome back to this week's news from the drug war front on Canberra's uh, community radio, 2XXFM 98.3, people-powered radio. And I uh, just want to um, exhort uh, people who listen and like our show or any of the other 80-plus original shows that are produced each week and broadcast by volunteers on 2XX to consider becoming a financial supporter of 2XX or, if you have some spare time, becoming a volunteer and helping out... Um, 2XX in any way that you can. They've been a very strong supporter of our show. Uh, it's been going to air for over 15 years. And uh, just, yeah, just want to do a, a plug for the importance of 2XX as a community asset. All right, might go to a song as my co-presenter has some of her legal drug, tobacco. Um, this is uh, the Perth band, The Triffords, and Life of Crime, The Triffords. All right, that was The Triffords and uh, Life of Crime. Welcome back to uh, News from the Drug War Front with Jeff and Marion. The time is nine minutes after 11. And on you're... public radio, two, radio 2XX 98.3 on the dial. Indeed, people-powered radio. That's um, right. Last week, if people tuned into the show, they'll um, recall that we uh, read Bill Bush's um, piece in the Canberra Times responding to the Commissioner of the Australian Federal Police um, going to town with criticisms of the proposed decriminalisation of small amounts of... Um, illicit drugs. In Particularly in the ACT, ACT and how it would create narco-tourism. And, and all, all sorts, sorts of horrible sky-falling in. The normal, yeah. Yeah. Well, Harm Reduction Australia have produced um, a response as well. It's entitled Cheap Shots from Our Top Cop Shows That Truth is the First Casualty of War on Drugs. And this came out yesterday, November the 8th. Yep. Okay. Uh, the release of the Australian Criminal Intelligence Commission's illicit drug data report and wastewater reports, coupled with the recent commentary of the AFP Commissioner, has again highlighted why truth is considered to be the first casualty of a war, even the war on drugs. Especially, I would have thought. I would say especially, yeah. <laughs> truth is a, a, yeah. a, a rare commodity. Um, the latest drug data report states that over the, la the last decade, the number of national illicit drug seizures increased 74%, the weight of illicit drugs seized nationally increased 314%, and the number of national illicit drug arrests increased 96%. Disturbingly, it also highlights that last year the number of drug-related arrests hit a record high of over 166,000. That's a huge number, Marion, isn't I it? I bet you they wish there was a co there was a pandemic, 
you know, every five years so that their statistics could go through the roof because I think that's probably a fundamental cause for the, for the increase in the number of arrests is the closing down of society so that each individual can be monitored. Well, people that were yeah. at risk, especially when there were curfews and Oh, absolutely, lockdown. yeah. 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 Um, which represents a person being arrested for using a drug, not selling, every four minutes in Australia, someone getting arrested. Mm. So how do we define success? Is it increased seizures and increased arrests? Or should we look at how, despite these record seizures, that the availability and purity of drugs remain relatively unaffected? Certainly, as a basic mathematical and evidentiary principle, the ACIC should provide an estimate on the level of inflow of illicit drugs into the country, so a proper assessment on how effective these seizures have, have been can actually be made. The trumpeting of law enforcement efforts in a national report on drugs also underscores how little the health sector has in government decision-making on drug policies, despite the additional harms that individuals, families and communities endure from law enforcement-focused approaches, which we say every week. You know? Don't we? Yeah. <laughs> the reports of increased production of methamphetamines because of the Myanmar military coup, the growing cartel thirst for new markets and a lack of commensurate effort in reducing demand, any objective assessment of law enforcement's effectiveness for its war on drugs would surely be very poor. The other truth casualty is the regular pronouncement that Australia has one of the highest rates of methamphetamine use in the world. The source of this oft-repeated claim is based on the United Nations World Drug Report, which states that the country reports, country reports on drug use levels are provided by national governments and are presented without judgment. Quite simply, some countries will report accurately on the level of drug use occurring and others will not because they don't have the data or for political reasons do not wish to publicise the truth. Of course, how truthfully citizens may answer any government survey on their drug use in some countries cannot be overlooked. All of which leads to the bewildering claims recently made by AFP Commissioner Kershaw, who, unlike other public servants, is seemingly immune from being able to publicly express his personal opinions on government policies or proposals a policing commissioner trait that seems that appears to be the norm across the country. According to Kershaw, and I kid you not, drug law reform will lead to increased murders and narco-tourism. <laughs> That's what we said, did we not? His continual attacks on people who use drugs has a who use drugs will have a devastating effect on those affected by drug use, including families. Ignorance of the health harms from drug laws may be excusable for some, but it's inexcusable for the nation's top cop, with all the resources he has at his disposal to target some of the most vulnerable members of our community and not even comprehend the lifelong legal harms that arise from a drug arrest and conviction. Which can ruin someone's life, like a young person. Absolutely. Can't get certain at the jobs. Age, from the age of 18, because... I mean, although they're looking to uh, have a, a, like a, an end of, like a 10-year limit on how long you, they still haven't brought that in, you still will be able to, people will still be um, subject to um, discriminatory you know, action. Would anything be wiped away, Mary? Yeah, however long ago you yeah. committed a crime. It'll be found somewhere. Especially drug crimes. Yeah. 
More recently, the AFP has begun publicly releasing a series of images that seem to serve no purpose other than to further stigmatise people who use drugs and their families and friends. The Uniting Fair Treatment Team has a campaign to let the Commissioner know how inappropriate and harmful these attacks are. This is a campaign we're proud to support and hope you will too. Yeah, essentially they're trying to encourage people to email the Commissioner and they've got some tips on the Good. sort of things that should be raised. Um, so it's headed by, we're working harder for a, uh, working hard for a fairer, <coughs> excuse me, more empathetic community for people who use drugs and people who experience drug that dependency. That word's empathic. I'm sorry, I can't stand that. It's not empathetic. Empathic is the correct word. But the AFP Commissioner has chosen to use stigma to get likes on social media. At Fair Treatment, we are frustrated and disheartened at blatant attempts like these below, like those below, to stigmatise people who use drugs in our community, simply to generate hysteria and attention. It's posts like these that remind us how important our work is together in changing the narrative about drugs and people who use drugs and creating an open and honest conversation free of judgment and bias. And that's one of the things that drives me mad, Marion, is we can't even have an open conversation. A conversation, a proper um, conversation. Proper, yeah. Yeah, because the hysteria behind it. Comes yeah. in before you have the conversation. That's yeah. right. Will you contact the Australian Federal Police Commissioner as organisations supportive of fair and sensible drug laws to call on him to show some decency and end these stigmatising and harmful attacks. We're asking you to directly contact the Australian Federal Police Commissioner and let him know that the harm that he is perpetuating. Here's some of the things that you could include in your email, and it's got in brackets, remember to make it personal. Uh, and they, this list is stigma, uh, causes enormous harm to, in capitals, real people. Share a story of how you've seen stigma affect someone that you know or, or work with. It can have negative impacts on a person's well-being, employment and social outcomes. Stigma and shame prevent people from seeking help and treatment when they need it. And we know that's the truth. We've Absolutely. talked about that. Yep. Generating fear and hysteria around drugs and people that use drugs makes it even more difficult to implement fair and effective policies. All people deserve to be treated with dignity and respect and have access to support when they seek it. Callous and judgmental messages like this portray a society... I am not proud to be a part of. And the last point is um, politely tell the AFP Commissioner what you think about his social media strategy and the damage it is causing just for a few likes. Indeed. Yeah. I like the tone of that. that yes, well, I'm pleased that they've actually done something like that and exhorting people to get in contact directly mm. with the police commissioner and let him know how they feel. No, very pleased with that. Um, uh, we've got to also remember, uh, I still have this article from this morning's Canberra Time facing me, Jeff, the morning starts as the concert crush probed, um, that while in general we would say that drug users like most people in the community have some nice people. They also have some nasty people. Of course. Um, and the, um, in Texas there was a, a, a concert and the one of the rappers a rappers concert and there was some what ten people I think maybe eight people who were killed from fourteen to twenty seven years old. Um, the rapper was being, uh, Travis Scott was performing and there were people who were 
um, killed in the crush, but also they were. Some people were saying that they felt in a sting, as if they were being injected with something. Now I have a problem with that. Uh, it is bad enough that people are stigmatised for drug use, but when people use drugs as a power implement only, which is, this is what it is. It's not about people use, who use drugs who would normally behave this way. This is about people using some kind of drug by using an inject an syringe, injecting people with drugs and making them subject either to loss of their mindset or control of their mental faculties and being subject to a crush, which was what happened at this concert. And several people died at that concert. This is not about drugs, and what, that's what worries me. Yeah, that's I'm, what's I'm, going to come out with this article is will be become about drugs, and it isn't about drugs. It's about people who can be a-holes, yeah? Yeah, I was concerned with that report too, and you wonder, there's nothing to, to say what drug is or was no and it hasn't even been investigated and it's only claims that people were injected although i don't dispute that that quite likely happened um it just worries me that how it is going to be prevent presented to the population how people are going to view drug users rather than just using it as a, a means of exerting power over other people by putting a drug into their system that they haven't asked for nor do they want and rendering them incapable of controlling their body. It's something very concerning. And the media have not got a a great track record of um, objective, fair, accurate Oh, absolutely. Reporting Reporting fairly. Good heavens, no. no. Uh, Look, we'll go to a song and then we'll talk about this um, release of the uh, Global Policy uh, Index. Um, yes. Okay, this is American rapper Ice-T, and it's about American jails, of course, but I thought, given we had the AFP commissioner story before, um, I'd play The Tower. This is uh, about uh, being in an American jail. Ooh. All right. Uh, that was pretty chilling, wasn't it? I yeah. don't think I want to spend five minutes in um, The <laughs> Tower. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, we, we've got this press release from the International Drug Policy Consortium, which we've um, spruced, so we better get to it. Yes, the... Um most countries, this is international please, most countries failed drug policy test according to new index. First ever accountability tool assesses and ranks countries' drug policies against key United Nations system recommendations. Norway tops the index. Brazil comes in last. Monday, November the 8th, 2021, London, United Kingdom. Norway, New Zealand, Portugal, the UK and Australia are the five leading countries on humane and health-driven drug policies, according to the inaugural edition of the Global Drug Policy Index, released today by the Harm Reduction Consortium. Brazil, Uganda, Indonesia, Kenya and Mexico are the five lowest-ranking countries. However... Norway, despite topping the index, still only managed a score of 74 out of 100, and the median score across all 30 countries and dimensions is just 48 over 48 over 100. And that's out of 100, which is not which is not even half. 50 no. percent of the indexes indices is not uh, covered. 
48 out of 100 is a drug policy fail in anyone's book, says Anne Fordham, Executive Director of the International Drug Policy Consortium, which led on the development of the index with the partners in Harm, in harm Reduction Consortium. None of the countries, as a quote, none of the countries assessed should feel good about their score on drug policy because no country has reached a perfect score or anywhere near it. This index highlights the huge room for improvement across the board. For decades, tracking how well or badly governments are doing in drug policy has been an elusive endeavour. In no small part, this is because data collection efforts by both governments and the United Nations have been driven by the outdate, outdated and harmful goal of achieving a, quote, drug-free society. Most governments continue to employ a repressive approach to drug control based on this skewed data, which in turn means they cannot be held accountable for the damage their policies inflict on the lives of so many people. The success of drug policies has not been measured against health, development and human rights outcomes, but instead has tended to prioritise indicators such as the numbers of people arrested or imprisoned for drug offences, the amounts of drugs seized, or the numbers of hectares of drug crops um, eradicated. And that approach came up in the story on the AFP Commissioner's um, response to yeah. the drug decriminalisation legislation proposed in the ACT. Okay, the Global Drug Policy Index is the first ever data-driven global analysis of drug policies and their implementations. It is composed of 75 indicators running, running across five broad dimensions of drug policy, and they are criminal justice, extreme responses, health and harm reduction, access to internationally controlled medicines, and development. And there's a quote from Helen Clark, who's the chair of the Global Commission on Drug Policy and former uh, Prime Minister of New Zealand. The Global Drug Policy Index is nothing short of a radical innovation. Good, accurate data is power, and it can help us to end the, quote, war on drugs sooner rather than later. What's clear from the results is that no government can afford to be complacent, said Julita Lengruber, former director of the prison system of the state of uh, Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. She's quoted as saying, even in the highest-ranking countries, progress is sorely needed. Governments worldwide must abandon, abandon the idea of drug policies as instruments of, quote, war and understand them as, as a means to promote human rights and citizenship. And we've said that many times, Marion, haven't we? Yeah, we have. A war on your own people. Is yes, it just, it's just... Uh, and a war on an inactive, inert substance is just well, crazy. Well, that just yeah. defies logic, doesn't it? Yeah. The index's first iteration evaluates the performance of 30 countries covering all regions of the world and is illustrated by real-life stories, including people who use drugs from around the world. And we've got a piece, actually, from a guy who talks about the impact of the medically supervised injecting centre in Sydney, That's the right. positive impact to... on his life. So I think it's a really good attempt to try and contextualise the damage done yeah. by prohibition. The index's results reflect that the militarised and law enforcement approach to drug control continues to prevail. Some uh, level of lethal use of force by military or police forces was reported in half of the 30 countries surveyed with widespread cases in Mexico and Brazil. The disproportionate impact of drug control on marginalised people on the basis of gender, ethnicity and socioeconomic status 
was reported to some extent across all dimensions and across all countries. Drug law enforcement targets primarily uh, drug law enforcement targets primarily non-violent offenders, and especially people who use drugs. Only eight out of the 30 countries surveyed have decriminalised drug use and possession, and out of those, only three managed to truly divert people away from the criminal justice system. So three out of 30. Yep. The funding gap for harm reduction remains highly concerning. Only five out of the 30 countries have allocated, quote, adequate funding to harm reduction. And of those countries, funding is considered secure in only one country, Norway. There is a huge gap between government policies and their implementation on ensuring access to controlled medicines, especially in countries like India, Indonesia, Mexico and Senegal, which score high on policy but score zero out of 100 for actual availability for those in need. Um, obviously, that's things like methadone and buprenorphine, you know, mm. opioid maintenance treatment. Alternative development programs in areas of illegal cultivation remains entrenched in interdiction and eradication, with Colombia scoring particularly low, 23 out of 100, due to its militarised strategy focusing on forced eradication and the harmful use of aer aerial spraying. Yeah. That ends there, and then there's notes to the editor. The results of the Global Drug Policy Index 2021, including its companion analytical report and real-life stories of individuals' experiences with drug policies from across the globe, will be available on November the 8th, which is yesterday, through uh, an interactive web tool accessible through this link. That, and then it's uh, that's written there. The Global Drug Policy Index is a project of the Harm Reduction Consortium, which includes the following partners, the European Network of People Who Use Drugs, that's Euro NPUD, Eurasian Harm Reduction Association, Eurasian Network of People Who Use Drugs, the Global Drug Policy Observatory, uh, Swansea, of Swansea University, that's GDPO, Harm Reduction International, the International Drug Policy Consortium, the IDPC, the Middle East and North African Harm Reduction Association, uh, MANARA, the West African Drug Policy Network, the Women Harm Reduction International Network, and Euthorise. I wonder where input is in this. Yeah, I think that... They're not mentioned. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure why that is the case, but it's clearly a wide array of involvement in this project. And let's hope that the 30 becomes 60 countries, becomes 90, becomes 120. And that they up their game and actually some start to achieve at least a pass mark rather than barely reaching a fight like 48 out of 100 in terms of uh, reaching, achieving categories or... I wonder what sufficient funding, adequate funding for harm reduction How do we define means that? too. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, what is it, 2% in Australia? I think that's way low. But um, and, and coinciding with that, there's a, a webinar event this evening um, for free, 7.30 till 8.30, uh, Global Drug Policy Index Australian Advocacy Action Webinar. And it basically um, is an event, online event to discuss how Australian drug policy aligns with international best practice in terms of health, criminal justice and access. Um, so the Global Drug Policy Index is a new composite that documents, measures and compares national government policies related to illicit drugs, providing each country with a score or ranking to show how much their drug policies compare to the UN common position on drugs. The first round will focus on 30 countries, as we mentioned, from every region of the world, including Australia. Um, and the five 
dimensions, uh, use of extreme sentencing, proportionality of criminal justice response, health and harm reduction, availability of controlled medicines and where relevant uh, development. Um, it's going to be hosted by uh, Annie Madden and some of the speakers include uh, Professor Alan Ritter, who's Director of the Drug Policy Modelling Program, um, Penny Hill, Deputy Secretary of the Vienna NGO Committee on Drugs and the Oceania representative for the International Drug Policy Consortium's Members Advisory Council and co-founder of Students for Sensible Drug Policy Australia, who are a good group, you know, involving young people in this debate. Jake Docker, the new CEO of the Australian Injecting Illicit Drug Users League, ABLE, um, and a whole range of other people, including uh, members of the New South Wales and Victorian um, Parliament. So, um, yeah, if you go to Eventbrite or um, I imagine um, any of the organisations involved in Production Australia, um, if you're interested, it's free. I've um, registered to get involved and listen. Um, great range of speakers and it will contextualise the um, assessment of Australia. Oh, uh, good. All right, let's go to a song and then we'll uh, come back with some more stories. This is uh, Lou Reed and uh, Real Good Time Together. All right, that was Lou Reed and uh, Real Good Time Together from the Street Hassle album. OK, we're into the home stretch of this week's uh, News from the Drug War Front, brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Home Minimisation and Advocacy, on 2XXFM 98.3 uh, People Powered Radio. And uh, just to follow on from the um, piece we did before, this is one of the stories um, from Australia uh, um, about the imp and it's by a fellow called Kevin, and it's his story about the impact of the King's Cross Medically Supervised Injecting Centre. And it goes, Hi, my name's Kevin, and today I'm going to be answering some questions about the Medically Supervised Injecting Centre. So if you hear me refer to the MSIC, you'll know that's what I mean. I've been given a handful of questions to answer, so without any further ado, we'll get straight into it. And the first question is, what was it like in King's Cross before the injecting centre opened? Hmm. And Kevin says it was a bit like the Wild West, really. There was a lot of overdoses because people were shooting up in parks, public toilets, toilets in pubs, stairwells, blocks of flats, just anywhere, really, that you could get five minutes to have an injection. In those days, it was illegal to carry injecting equipment with you, so it was simply discarded all over the place. It was a bit of a mess. There was a lot of disease running rampant because equipment was being shared, and it was just chaos, really. It was just basically chaos. The next question was, what first brought you to the MSIC? It was a friend, actually. He says, I was a bit wary of this place when it first opened. I thought, how are they going to give him a place to inject drugs? And then I thought we'd be under surveillance, so I thought the police would be waiting in the back. I also had this thing in the back of my head, Quote, what's a church doing running a supervised injecting centre? But after a few years of being opened, a friend of mine brought me and I went to stage one where you enter the building. You, you give your name, and it doesn't even have to be a real name, just any name, and you choose a password of your own. Then you move to stage two where injection takes place under the supervision of nurses. It's clean and hygienic. It's cleaning with hygienic new equipment, and you can then discard your used equipment. And then there's stage three, which is a space for coffee, tea, discussions with counsellors, making a phone call, use the computer, using the computer to chase up things on the net, check your emails, and so forth. It's almost like a drop-in centre, but again, you're under this sort of watchful eye without being stared at of a nurse to make sure you're not in the throes of overdose. Because this is a medically supervised injection centre with an emphasis on the medically 
no one dies here. No one has died, and it's 19 years in the running. So well done. Another question. What led you to use drugs? Oh, do we really have enough time to discuss this? Basically, life. I grew up in child welfare institutions and in prisons, and it wasn't a very nice place to be, a young kid and a young adult. I've been diagnosed with PTSD, depression and a few other things, but I don't actually agree with. But I used opiates, which is my drug of choice, as a way of medicating life's issues. And I don't want to sound like, don't want that to sound like a cop-out. Most of my life I've worked full-time, a full-time job. I've had some very good jobs, but I had to medicate myself with heroin. I equate it to being like a diabetic who needs insulin. I only did heroin to get through the day. Besides allowing injecting, this is another question, besides allowing injecting, what other help does MSIC offer to its service users? A massive amount of stuff goes on here. As I said, it's a supervised injecting centre, injection centre, but you're able to access housing, you can access basic medical services, dental services, podiatrists, anything that's available to basically anyone in any normal psychiatric physician's clinic can happen here. I've seen dressings changed, I've seen referrals for people who have hip replacements. But another big thing is that it's a gateway to treatment. Even though it's a place to shoot up drugs and take your drugs, it's also a gateway towards treatment. And that's where I started my journey. I'm ashamed to admit it, but I've had over 2,000 admissions here through the front door in MSIC, and that's a lot. Wow. Well, that's... I don't know. I don't know why it's a shame to admit yeah. it, actually. Going in, using 2,000 times, Lucy's still alive to talk about it. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it comes down to a lot of the internalised shame that people feel... About because, just using drugs. Yeah, yeah I because agree. it's presented as such yeah. a you know deviant behaviour, or you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry that he feels ashamed about it. But yeah. I actually think that's used to be congratulated for going back. I think so too, yeah. and I think that's one. Are there other he used it there? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, as you said, he's still here to do this interview, and yeah, and you know, if if it's a worry that people know him and recognise him because he's come back regularly, well. At least it's a comfortable place for him to be, yeah. you know, having a shot. I think they've done a remarkably... Um, Absolutely, done it really well. ...positive job. You know, and it sort of makes you think where we could be had the ACT... Um, heroin trial actually gone ahead, you know. Oh, absolutely. It would be, yeah. um, what, 25 years? Well, it would have been using the same sort of system as well as, and on top of that, being able to prescribe heroin as well. It just would have transformed. It would have changed the whole nature the whole, of injecting yeah, drug use in Canberra. Anyway, the last question that's asked of Kevin is, how has the injecting centre supported you? Uh, has the, how, sorry, how has the injecting centre supported you? And Kevin says, massively. As I said, they helped me to get into treatment, and I'm still in treatment. I won't go into what that is, but it's a one-per-month in injection, so it sounds like <laughs> I wonder what it is, yeah. <laughs> I think that gives it away. It enables me to have a life. I'm not tied to, to any clinic for an entire month. I'm not tied to a dosing line. So I can use my life experiences and skills to work in the area of decriminalisation of personal possession and the use of drugs and to expand treatment facilities. For example, rehabs and detoxes. As I said, it helped me to get into treatment, but it also helped me expand my life and my voice to be able to say what I mean. I've made new friends and I've made friends with people I'd never thought I'd be talking to ever in my life. 
People who I considered were too, quote, straight to be talking to, and now they're mates, you know. I have dinner with them, celebrate birthdays with them, Christmas, it's a whole new life. Thank you for listening. I hope this is helpful. So it sounds to me like he sounds like a, a normal human being, which is fun. To, I mean, I know that's a dreadful thing to say, Jeffrey, but that's that's what people do when they don't have to chase their drugs for 24-7, yeah? Well, we need they to can, change the narrative that drug use defines you completely. The way you behave, yeah. yeah. And Everything be, defines you as a person. And it's negative portrayal. That's right. It's, you know, exactly. you're untrustworthy or something wrong That's with you. That's the discrimination. That's yeah. the stigma surrounding. And it's really unfortunate. And I don't think it's... I mean, we go on about it um, most uh, weeks, but it's because we're aware and have experienced it. But um, I don't think in the general debate, not that we have much honest <laughs> debate, um, the extent of the damage of stigma and discrimination is actually... No, I I don't think people recognise what they're doing when they're stigmatising a drug user, Um, what kind of an impact it does, what kind of impact it has on the individual and on their family. Mm. Um, And that's really sad. I think that a lot of um, health workers are responsible for a lot of stigmatisation and discrimination and they don't recognise it either because they work in the area, they feel that they are sensitised to the issues when in fact they aren't by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, it's a kind of, you know, a deep sigh and a tut-tut of the... um, the brain just kind of goes into, well, this is oh, dealing with a drug user again. Yeah. And that's, you know, really unfortunate. It's kind of got nothing to do with it. It's about what kind of access do drug users as a rule, what kind of services do they have access to? And if the health worker with an attitude like that um, is actually seeing drug users, I'm really surprised they're coming back again. Mm. Yeah, it's a real worry. And that's why it's so important to have um, compassionate, sensitive, peer-based organisations or organisations that are open to um, being you know, thoughtful about what their clients expect from the service and you know, try and adjust accordingly. Um, you can't force square pegs into round holes and it's not a one-size-fits-all. No, it isn't, not um, by any stretch of the imagination. That's a, that's a, a really interesting article. I'm really, yeah, really surprised that, um, about the impact because I actually didn't know how the MSIC ran and I haven't seen it. Yeah, Have I, you been I up had, to see it? Um, some years ago, Chris sent me to be a guest judge for the Art from the Heart oh, that's of the right. Cross. Is that where it was held, was it? Um, it, it was held in Sydney. But no, it was held at the MSIC. Um, no. Think, I think the exhibition was close by, but I got okay. to, to get a tour. Oh, it's where I met through. Natasha. Okay. Um, oh, okay. So I got, I got the, the, the grand tour of the facility. And that reminds me of something we forgot to talk about, Jeffrey, was the art from the heart. But finish what you were saying anyway first. Well, th- that's where the project started. And, yep. of course, as we've said before, the ISIS, ISIS crisis... Um, piece of work, which um, yep. was just brilliant, um, was bought uh, by Karma as the yeah. first piece of art. Um, and it's, so you went for a walk through MSIC and... Yeah, had a look. And um, look, it was sort of, to my thinking, quite medicalised. Yeah. The post-care area was where it was more about time for people to chat and get involved in, you know, after they'd 
been through. So it was a formal <coughs> kind of induction, the stage one, stage, stage two, one, stage and two, then yeah. stage three. Yeah. And, you know, they had naloxone on hand, oxygen, you know. I mean, they're yeah. trying to keep people alive. That's the intent Absolute. of it. Yeah, oh, good. It's the medically supervised injection centre, yeah, after all. Yeah, that's the whole point, yeah. Yep. Um, just <coughs> before we go on, because there's not much time left, when Jeffrey spoke about the art from the heart, um, and the buying of the winning uh, piece of artwork from that uh, that exhibition, that the one that Jeff was a judge on, um, we have here locally produced an art from the heart of Canberra, which is a booklet of paintings created by people with lived experience of drug and alcohol use, and it's just been printed. It offers a platform for the talents of Canberra community uh, to challenge the stereotypes and enable a better appreciation of the true strength, determination, grit and spirit of people who use or have used drugs. This work is a reminder of the inherent dignity of drug users. And it's a really fabulous booklet. It's got personal stories, stories associated with each, with each, yep. Yep. each um, painting or each piece of artwork. And it's beautifully produced. Um, piece of art. Some, the artwork's amazing. Pieces of art. Yeah, yeah, it's fabulous. And there's a piece at the back from Uniting, um, <clears throat> just mentioning that our pro uh, project is modelled on theirs that uh, is known as Art from the Heart of the Cross. Um, originally, uh, it started in 2010, so it's been going over a decade. And the project is aimed to use art as a tool of engagement, create an opportunity for people to use the supervised injecting centre to explore the creative arts, produce framed artworks and showcase their creativity, and also ensure that um, with the sale, 100% of the, um, the money goes to the artist. And it's done by a, a sort of, I call it blind auction. You, yes, you go online, yes. you have a look at a piece, yes. you put a bid in. Yeah, that's right. I remember that, that we first held it. When was it? Last year or the year before? The highest bid wins, and yeah. It's, it would have been the year before because we were yeah, closed down last year, were we? Yeah. yeah. It was the year before because I remember we held it out at um, uh, Karma in, uh, when it was in uh, the park. North Point Plaza. Margaret Timpson Park. Margaret Timpson yeah, Park, up yeah. Up the road, yeah. That's right. And it also just concludes with a piece uh, from Karma expressing gratitude to the Sydney MSIC and its management team have generously approved using the model and the brand up from the heart here at Karma. So may all the world know the joy of being creative and be appreciated for who they are. Mm. And that, that comes from Natasha, and she's a fabulous teacher, I might add. She taught, tried and tried hard to teach somebody who doesn't, like me, who doesn't listen for very long. I have an attention span of a gnat, I sometimes <laughs> feel. But she tried to teach me a lot more about acrylics, and I heard the first bit and missed the second bit. But I really enjoyed the artwork that we were doing and some beautiful pieces were presented out of the workshops that she's conducted. Really impressed by uh, just just her creativity and the ideas that she has. And it's she, powerful, Marion. It takes oh, you to it another is. place. Yeah. You just... and, and, and how people visualise their lived experience how they and how they produce that visualisation onto canvas or onto a piece of paper in terms of artwork is a really in incredibly powerful thing. Yeah. yeah? And it's really um, positive that a lot of these pieces are on the walls of the Northside Opioid um, Treatment Service, the one, you know, the extension of Building 7 that's in Belconnen. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, so they actually purchased a lot of the... Uh, 
Oh, were, did they? Yeah, that oh, was, I didn't know that. That's and, great. And there's a comment um, about, you know, the reason the artwork's special is it's made by consumers of opioid maintenance treatment, therefore represents the voice of the people who will use our facility. Um, so that's that's really... It's, it's powerful in so and many where, ways. Where's that that place you're talking about then? Uh, it's, it's, in, it's not far from our office. It's uh, in the Belconnen Community Health Centre. Oh, OK. Um, and I think it was closed for a while under the pandemic. I'm not North sure Side if it's Opioid Treatment Service, okay. reopened. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, on display. And also um, quite a bit went to the um, Tuggeranong office of uh, the Interchange General Practice. Uh, Great. They bought, some, they so bought it? They bought, yeah. bought some art. Good so, on them. Um, they, well, <laughs> good on them. They make their money out of us, so don't yeah, see why they shouldn't. It, yeah, but good on them. It's such a powerful tool. Oh, look, it is. And it's something that I've just took me ages to understand because I never saw, never looked, um, never saw the world in pictures. Yeah. I saw it in words. Yeah, so I've here. never really associated myself much with artwork. But I I love art yeah. and love looking at it, but I don't see the world in pictures. I see it in words, different thing. Anyway, um, we're going to go out with a different song. I haven't got our yeah, normal. Yeah, because Jeffrey forgot it. Ha ha. It's probably good to have something different. Um, <laughs> you people your, have said, can't That's you play? your excuse, and you're sticking to it. But we've had some requests, a number of requests for uh, the late uh, great guitarist Roy Buchanan. So I thought I'd play one of his pieces. It's his take on the classic Jimi Hendrix, Hey Joe. So that's wow. it from this week's news from the drug war. Front. Okay. Thank you, Bye, bye, everybody. Thank you, Jeffrey. I love you. I love you all out there too. Look after yourselves. Please stay well and be here for us. We will be for next you week. next week. Bye-bye. Take bye. care. Here's Roy Buchanan.